This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, how you doing today? This is a video I look forward to doing every month. This is where we talk about Las Vegas real estate with my good friend, Brian Lieber. How you doing, man? I'm fantastic. How are you doing out there? I'm doing really well, man. And I really mean that. I, I really look forward to these conversations. Not only your wealth of knowledge, a lot of history, but Vegas for me is one of those markets that's kind of a canary in the coal mine, right? I had some expectations of it a year ago. Uh, as you have correctly shown, it, it hasn't behaved as I thought it would. And I'm always looking for, am I just going to be flat out wrong, which is always happens, or is it just delayed, right? Was I just early? So uh, thank you for doing all of this. Um, what did you see in December? Yeah, so December managed to defy everything that we thought was possible again. So um, <laughs> December, you know, we'll start off with sales, right? So December, we actually sold 3,071 homes, uh, which means absolutely nothing to the majority of your audience because you need a frame of reference. As a frame of reference, that was a 29%, 29% increase over the previous December. So in, in any book, it's a, it was a banner month. Um, and just the number by itself is just exceptionally high for December. Obviously, in every market, the holidays, sales typically go down. This equated to a July sales in the month for us. So it was very, very, very impressive for a multitude of reasons. Um, now, when we discussed the median price, uh, it, with a grain of salt, um, the media was reporting that the median price remained consistent. That wasn't actually accurate uh, because they factor in new homes that happen to be on the MLS. So they don't actually filter correctly. Um, and then they kind of misreport it. It's not, it's not really worth getting into. But the truth of the matter is the median price actually went down $2,000. But again, we're discussing median, not average. So that's pretty arbitrary. The main number to look at is the fact that sales were that robust. Uh, that, there's just no way around denying the fact that the demand is exceptional. And keep in mind, these are simply resale numbers. New home sales have been through the roof. Um, but the difference is the majority of new home sales, those are almost all out-of-state buyers. There's, there's nowhere near as much in-state local buyers purchasing new homes as opposed to uh, migration pattern from out of state. So when you combine the two together, it's quite profound, quite profound. Wow. So the first thing I want to admit to just getting flat out wrong, or maybe I won't say wrong, but just missed is when, when I was thinking about Vegas in April, May, June, I gave no thought to the wave of out of town buyers, right? You probably have seen out of town buyers before, but I'm going to guess it's double, triple, maybe even quadruple what it's been historically. Is, is that close to accurate? Yeah. You know, I don't have the exact numbers because obviously we'd have to, you know, essentially pull the DMV to see how many surrendered licenses were, um, were mm. given up. Uh, obviously we can tell that it's substantial. Here's the, here's the big difference though, is um, typically historically, I should say people move to Vegas, um, you know, to retire, 
But a lot of times, you know, Vegas was founded on affordability. So for a lot of people who maybe don't have uh, extensive education where jobs are plentiful, especially in Southern California, the Bay Area, uh, Vegas was always a haven where you could come and get a good paying job and have an affordable cost of living. So we typically attracted, you know, middle class people, younger people that couldn't get ahead from where they were coming from. And again, you know, you could buy a home for $100,000. Who cares how much money you're making because their cost of living was so affordable. So I think the polarizing difference that we have right now versus historical model is that we've never had so many wealthy individuals moving to Las Vegas. So you have higher education, higher net worth individuals. Uh, and all you have to do is look at the luxury market in Las Vegas and it's the hottest luxury market we've ever seen. And we'll, we, I don't think we'll ever see a market as hot as 2004 to 2007. And this is the greatest luxury market we've ever seen. So that shows you that the migration demographic has changed. It's not just the mass amounts, it's the quality of people. And that spills over tremendously into a lot of the new home sales. Um, obviously, new homes are more expensive than their resale counterparts. So I've asked sales agents, especially on some of, uh, some of these developments where, you know, you have basic homes, you know, with a 4,000 square foot lot, that's really nothing. And they're getting 60 to $100,000 lot premiums for a lot that's not premium. It's just a lot. And, you know, I've asked and said, who the hell are, who's buying these? You know, who just really is irrelevant to, to these prices. And yeah, it's wealthy out-of-state individuals or younger people whose parents are subsidizing. Um, so again, the, the migration has been a little bit different than before. Um, so that kind of covers the sales part of it. Yeah, just, just real quick. I want to hit that one more time because you and I have been doing this a long time and we both experienced the early 2000s. And I would, I would agree with you. I expected that to be, you know, that bubble, right? For me, my market was like 06, 07 was just nutty. Two years in a row of 30% appreciation. I never thought I would see that. I thought that would be the most crazy market. So to hear you talk about today, 2020 or 2021 in comparing it to 04, 05, that's, I mean, that smacks me in the face. And now I realize we are talking about a segment of the market because I'm guessing 0405 was more entry level, first time buyer. Everybody was qualifying with liar loans. It And today is, it seems skewed very luxury. Is Am I summarizing kind of the little differences correctly? Uh, no, you know what? Um, okay. So uh, I just, I just covered a lot of this in my 2021 housing outlook video. So for all your viewers out there, we'll give you, uh, you know, I can give you a link for the description. I'll show you where to watch it. But I did a 15 minute video explaining how and why 2021 is going to be a big year for sales in Las Vegas, as opposed to some pundits that are, you know, claiming there's gonna be a crash in the second half of the year. I vehemently think that that's not likely to occur short of an extension of COVID, the new mutant COVID, uh, World War III, ceteris paribus, all things equal. I think we're going to continue to increase our, uh, wow. our sales prices. Here's what: when we're discussing the difference between the original boom, you know, 2004 to 2007, and now, completely different world, completely, completely different world. So, yes, uh, we were seeing 30% appreciation last year, which was a weird year. 
we saw 10.6% appreciation. So it was a, an amazing year for us. And it was a third of what things were back then. And even in 2012, 2013, we were seeing 25% appreciation. So it's still not the same as far as price increases. But here's the difference is when we had the boom back in the day, we didn't have as many investors. We had speculators. And that's a completely different thing. I mean, completely different. Um, so when I say spectators versus investors, yeah, you know, we had those Nina loans, no income, no assets, liar loans, as you put it. So on one hand, yes, you had people who had no business owning a home, owning a home. So that was an inflation. Then you had valet drivers and strippers that own four or five homes. That's not normal. That won't happen again because we had 5% down loans. They're bleeding every penny of equity out just to put down that little 5%. Um, people were buying, again, you're dealing with prospecting, not investing. So you had people who said, hey, look, uh, I'm going to buy this brand new home. I'm going to lose $500 a month on the rent. So yeah, I'm going to lose $6,000 this year and maybe next year. So I'm going to lose 12 grand. I can afford the 12 grand. But if I wait two years, that house is going to go up $200,000. So I'm going to buy five houses. I'm going to do everything I can, refinance my house, leverage every penny I have, because guess what? In two years, I'm going to sell all five investments and I'm going to cop a mill. Cop a mill. Okay. If your plan A works, then yes, you will cop that mill. But if anything deviates from your plan, you don't have a plan B. So I think that was a huge difference as far as the, the way our market was created. It was, you know, a straw house. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't take much to blow that down. I think this market is substantially different and the, the model behind it is a lot stronger, but moving forward, we have some problems that are very different and difficult to overcome. Yeah. So, so I think, I think that was a wonderful summary and I agree with you a thousand percent. The, the market of call it 04 to 06, whatever that is, was very, the last couple of years with all speculation or prospecting, whatever word you want to use, it was bad. It wasn't, right. it wasn't healthy. And again, what I'm seeing today, even in my market, it's, it's real loans, it, real qualifications. Not everybody's getting a yes answer, which is very different. So very cool. The next thing I want to talk about the existing market is supply because, yeah. you know, it's supply has just been, it's, it's like, where is it? <laughs> it's everybody talks about it being out there mythically. It's like the, it's like the unicorn. It's going to show up someday. Uh, what's going on with supply? Yeah. And so what I alluded to a minute ago was the fact that, you know, our present market presents new and different challenges that we didn't have um, during the last bubble. So the issue you have is this, right? Like I explained blowing up, once the market tapered and then declined, you just had this mass exodus. And yeah, everyone was willing to sell because if you are losing money on five properties and then all of a sudden your house went down 20%, 30%, 50%, your business model was broken and it's just time to bail. And then you as a homeowner, when you lose 50% of your value and you're on an arm that's gonna blow up in two years, you just walk away. So that was then and it was easy to see why people were just dumping their homes and throwing them on the market now here's a different problem that we have now our supply and i said in my january market update video that we were about two weeks away from having the lowest inventory effectively of all time uh, i've been doing real estate for about 18 years and i've never seen it this low even during the boom 
the lowest we've had uh, was once the market started coming back in 2013. 2011 was the bottom, 2013 was a feeding frenzy because homes were slowly starting to appreciate and everyone wanted properties. Uh, and we still had foreclosures, short sales, so everything was absorbed. So back then the lowest that we had this entire past decade was 3,084 homes. Last week we were at 3,086, right now we're below it. So we're in January, January and we have the lowest inventory of all time. So what do you think happens when we start getting into peak season in you know end of March, April, May, every month from there, demand increases, increases. So the question that you have is how do you increase our supply in order to meet demand? That's the million dollar question. This is a national issue, but this is exceptionally pervasive in Las Vegas and here's why. Um, We've never in the history of America seen single family homes owned by corporations, private equity, um, and even just private investors as much as we have right now. I mean, look, your show is dedicated towards explaining investing and how to invest. Um, and not that there wasn't, but never at this level. So this presents different problems that we've never seen before. And think of it this way. And, and this is a take that I don't know anyone else has said. This was just my perspective on some things. There's two major problems. The first, which is huge with regards to affordable housing, because this is a national problem, not just Las Vegas problem. The problem when we discuss affordable housing is this. One, we obviously know that builders are not building affordable homes. But the major problem that we have is with these private equity firms and investors. Now, 10 years ago in 2011, that was the bottom of the market. And for the next three years, Every person in LA, California with a hundred grand came here and bought what they could. Every private equity fund came and bought thousands, thousands of homes. I think Blackstone in one year bought 2000 homes alone in one year. So here's the issue. Let's just go here, Michael. You know, you, you're 25 years old, you buy your first house and yeah, you got this little 1200 square foot, two car garage, three bedroom. It's great. It's perfect for you. You meet that special person. You decide you guys want to have kids. So it's time to sell it and move up to a family style home. Well, you've lived there for five years and it's time to move. So you sell it to me. I'm 25. It's perfect little home for me. I get started. Well, five years later, I'm in the same boat. It's time to get something a little bit better. I'm making more money. I found a significant other, whatever. It's time for me to roll five years. Well, 10 years ago, you had corporations, private equity, and investors purchasing single-family homes in mass. Well, guess what? That's two cycles of, of sales that never, ever existed. No person was living there to be able to fix it up, sell it off, and then have another person or family sell it off and, and, and move forward. So the problem that you have right now is, look, by default, these private equity firms aren't selling. Now, if you're a private investor, you're just, you know, a guy who owns two or three homes. You took advantage when they were $150,000 homes and you've done well. Well, here's the problem. It's already been 10 years. So even if you have a mortgage, you probably have a few years left. The reality is, is you're running insane cap rates, insane. I mean, these investors are making 800, you know, a thousand a month, just cash flowing and having a mortgage on top of it. So even if the market were to go down 30 grand, if you're that investor and you're you know, making 500, $800 a month, 
I'm just going to keep running it. I'm making money every month. Why would I not? And the rental market is so strong. So the problem that you have is how do you create supply? And in this case, inventory, you have to motivate people to sell their property. You can't motivate these investors, not in a, not in a rental market that's this strong, not in a market that's appreciating. I mean, they got the market cornered, <laughs> literally. So that's one problem. And then the other problem in Las Vegas is, you know, historically neighborhoods would kind of go down a little bit and then you'd want a newer home and a better area because this neighborhood kind of went down. And with the advent 20 years ago of all these master plan communities, neighborhoods actually haven't gone down. Some neighborhoods are actually nicer and more desirable because their proximity is close to goods and services. Um, people come in and remodel. So you have a lot of people uh, that live in Las Vegas that normally would be selling their home and buying a brand new home because that was the migration pattern for Las Vegas residents. The problem is the delta between your resale home and your new home has just expanded tremendously. So it used to be I could go buy that brand new home and maybe it'll cost me an extra $50,000 and it's worth it. Now, if that delta is $300,000, you go, maybe I'll refinance at two and a half percent and just throw $50,000 into the house, new paint, new flooring, some new appliances, and eh, I'm good. Mm. So that's the problem I see on the horizon is how are we going to actually create inventory? I, I don't see how on the resale market we're going to create much inventory. Yeah, I want to go back to that investor, whether it be a hedge fund, private equity, rich investor, or someone who's just doing one rental at a time, right? If you bought mm -hmm. 2010 to like 2014, uh, let's just say you're good, right? Cost basis is good. Your mortgage is good. You probably can refi. But what's really going on, at least at the Wall Street level, is they've taken all their capital out, right? They bought for cash. They, rep uh, they repaired it for ca with cash. Um, you know, they put together thousands of homes. Over time, they've bundled those up into bonds and they've sold them off. So now they have all their money back and then some. And they have this other investment that's spitting off cash because of the strong rental market. They have an infinite return. You, why would they? Why would they sell? Why? And that's what I've been preaching: is how do you create? That? They are not selling. No, I'm not selling my investment properties. Why would you? It just gets better and better. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a major, major, major problem. Um, yeah. So as far as creating. I, so I don't. I mean, I don't know. I'm just going to make up numbers here. Let's just say in, in 2010, Vegas had 50,000 affordable homes, and I'm just throwing numbers out to be crazy. If you take those 50,000, and let's just say 10,000 or 20 percent of that was absorbed by people who won't sell in the future, that pool of properties just goes down every year because again, prices go up, some stuff disappears, it comes functional obsolescence. And oh, by the way, the new homes are at price points way above. So it, it's crazy what's going on. Yeah, and, and like I said, I, I, you know, like we had discussed before, you know, the day of reckoning may or may not come. We'll see what Biden does, but we know that the mortgage forbearances are set to expire um, in April, right? That's going to be day one of them setting uh, their expiration. So the problem that I have is that is what I was looking for as far as our potential for a market correction. But we got two things right now. One, let's just say 
that that hits April 1st. And, and I think at least 50% of people are, are probably going to be affected in a way that they can't necessarily work out a repayment structure with their lender. So there's going to be a good amount of people that have a come to Jesus moment at the end of April and realize that their only option is to sell. Forget about foreclosures. Just forget about foreclosures. The problem is these people who are delinquent on their mortgage for a year, they have tons of equity in their properties. So you're not going to foreclose. You're just going to throw it on the market. As we just discussed, we have a record low inventory. By the time we get to realistically May 1st, that is the height of the real estate market. So here you have, I don't know how much inventory we'll have. I mean, we could be down to 2000. I don't know. Um, and to give you an idea, guys, you know, a balanced market is supposedly six months. I think that's a little high, but in, in parlance of real estate, that is a balanced market, right? Well, if we're selling 3000 homes a month and right now we have less than 3000, we don't even have a one month supply of inventory. That number is likely to continue to go down. So what are we going to end up with? A, a three week supply of inventory, a two week supply of inventory? Doesn't take a genius to explain economics 101 there. So what I'm getting to is where we thought we would have a reckoning perhaps in May because of the mortgage forbearances. I don't care if a thousand people throw their home on the market on May 1st, throw a thousand. That thousand is going to be absorbed literally in 10 days. That's very likely to occur. So I don't see that happening. And then again, let's just say for some reason, people don't have equity and they need to short sale or foreclose. You're not going to have enough numbers to have the critical mass to affect the market. And you also have to remember foreclosures. There's a tremendous amount of protections. So we won't even process those foreclosures and those won't hit the market earliest will be, you know, second, third quarter of 2022. So even if we do see foreclosures, it, it it's impossible to start seeing them for a year, exactly. maybe a year and a half. Yeah, and this is something I've looked up because I was tired of all these stupid YouTube entertainers calling a crash next year. And, and do you, you may know this. No, nobody else I've, I've asked this question was even close in their guess. Do you know the average time to foreclose in Vegas during the last crisis? Number of days? Well, you, you, you really can't answer that question. Um, I covered it heavily. One of my number, one of my highest watched videos was a video that I did that predicted, that's why I got on the Wall Street Journal, I predicted what was going to happen six months before it occurred. Nice. And that was because we passed a bill called AB 284. And it was a foreclosure protection bill ah. that allowed homeowners uh, additional time, additional legal resources, where once they received their notice of default, they could appeal to effectively go into a mediation hearing mm -hmm. with that lender in a specific court and, and give them the opportunity to work out some form of repayment. So the reality is, is and, and I represented eight banks and asset management companies. So I dealt with uh, these banks firsthand uh, for all their distressed assets. So nice. <laughs> no one knows this side of the business better than I do because this is what I made a living doing nice. from 2008 to 2012 at a very high level. But the reality is, is it depends on what time we're talking about. You know, prior to September of 2011, the foreclosure process could go relatively quick. Um, you could have a foreclosure within six months hmm. pretty easily if the, if, if the lender was aggressive enough. Now, obviously there is a multitude of factors. If you engage in a short sale, if you were negotiating with that bank, 
they would still have a notice of foreclosure date and they would extend, extend, extend. So that was a game you could play. You could get attorneys involved that could extend it. The reality is, is you're looking realistically, I would say a solid year. And if you play the game right, you can extend to a year and a half. Uh, I think those are real numbers. I would put the over under probably about 13 months. Yeah. So that's interesting. First off, thank you for doing that. Cause I just read a report. I didn't question the data. Again, I don't have Vegas experience like you, but I've always been looking at San Francisco, Vegas, and New York, right? Those three markets to me, if I can figure out what mm-hmm. those are doing, I'll know the others. So I'll give you all three. And again, this came from last crash. California's average foreclosure was 1200 days. So almost four years. And again, there's probably lots of ifs and ands and ors and dust. Um, I'm sorry, California was 700 days, sorry, 700 days for California. Vegas was uh, 1,200 days. Again, there could be, the data is very noisy, I'm sure. New York, over 1,500 days. So all these people talking about these 3 million people in forbearance just suddenly showing up, don't count on it. You don't think there's going to be foreclosure protection news. You you don't think they're going to throw, Biden's going to throw all kinds of things at this. You could, in theory, not pay for years. And that foreclosure is not going to show up. Yeah. And, and again, it just, there's, there's empty calorie oh, yeah. statistics. And to me, this is relatively an empty calorie statistic because again, some person who's completely negligent and doesn't fight and just lets it happen, you know, yeah, you could, you could be delinquent and evicted within a 10 month span. Sure. And then another person could easily stretch that out over two and a half years and who cares if you spend 20,000 on attorney fees, if your mortgage or further rent would be four or 5,000 a month, yeah. a lot of people are willing to do it. It just depends on everyone's situation. So yeah, the real um, key for me here is that yeah, but I would foreclosures say, are not mm-hmm. showing up soon and they're going to show up sporadically. You're not going to get a thousand or 2000 on May 1st. Mathematically, it won't no. work. And then pe- some people will fight. Some people won't fight. It's going to be very sporadic. And to your point, they will be sucked up in days. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I could probably pull up, but I, I follow the notice of default. I get an email every single day for the amount of notice of defaults that were filed. You know, it's usually about five days behind. So I literally look at the notice of default filings every single day of my life. Um, so I've been watching it and I can tell you it's pretty much non-existent. Yeah. And for people even thinking about foreclosures, when I pulled the numbers three weeks ago for this month's video, you know how many foreclosures there currently are on the market in Las Vegas? One, five. There's 15 <laughs> foreclosures on the market right now in Las Vegas. Oh, and that's a very God. consistent number. I run this every single month. It's... So, and the notice of defaults are, you know, like 109. Yeah. Um, and you got to remember, just because you got a notice of default doesn't mean that equates to a foreclosure. It might not see the day of light. Yep. So either way you cut it, there's no indications whatsoever that foreclosures are coming. Once you start to see the notice of defaults go from 100 to 500, 1,000, yeah. you know, like we used to see, then that's the impetus to show you what's coming. Yeah. But at this junction. Well, let's, yeah. uh, let's flip the script a little bit because I also want to get a feel for what's going on in the ground in Vegas. Any talk of conventions coming back? Are we still doing weekend operation only? Because again, the real estate market is saying one thing, but from my outside view, the at least the economy of what we know as Vegas is not quite back yet. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's no surprise. I mean, the economy's hurting here, um, but you wouldn't know it by going out. Um, it's, it's literally 
a tale of two worlds, man. It's a tale of two worlds. Um, the haves have everything right now. I mean, you know, I just spoke with my buddy who is uh, the GM of Audi Las Vegas yesterday. And he said, you know, we're doing a little bit better on inventory. He's like, but I literally have two Q7s and that's it to sell for the month. Um, you know, and I don't know how many to sell, but I would imagine there's probably about 50 of them. Um, and he's like, literally, I'm telling people, it's not that I don't have your color or your options. I don't have any vehicles to sell. So even though our economy should be hurting, and in a lot of ways it is hurting when it comes to tourism and the strip, in general, you know, things are plugging along. Um, things amazing. are still plugging along. Now, the reality is going to be this. Yes, the low end, you know, especially when we're discussing rental properties, knock on wood, all of my tenants have paid rent. Um, in the upscale areas, I've talked to property managers and, you know, there's a small uptick and you always have people that are going to take advantage of things, but it's really not that bad. Now on the low end, when you're discussing apartment buildings that are low, uh, fourplexes, uh, low, uh, low demographics, that there's some pain there for sure. And that's where they're affected. Now, Here's the issue with Vegas. Here's the secondary part of why we're not going to likely see much of a crash is this can't last forever. Um, and most people are presuming that we'll be good in like July. That, that's a realistic number is that Vegas will be open in July. Again, we'll see how the vaccine goes. We'll see. But July is, seems to be like, uh, that's the over under right there. So let's just say July, the world loosens up, okay? <laughs> so that's what I said in the video. If you've been in jail for a year and a half, no one comes out of jail and orders a salad for their first meal. No, you get out of jail and you want the biggest, fattest, juicy steak you can get your hands on. Vegas is that juicy steak. We've all been cooped up. I'm a more of a homebody to begin with, and I am, I'm dying to, to go somewhere and do damn near anything it's just, there's nowhere to go. There's really not much to do because it's the same crap everywhere. Or, you know, you go to Houston, which who goes to Houston on vacation, or you go to Florida and then you're probably coming back with the Rona. So mm -hmm. yeah. I, I don't really feel like doing that either. Yeah. But here's the thing, you know, here you are, you got vaccinated and you've been bored to sin living in Kansas. I'm going to Vegas. It's been a year and a half. I haven't been able to do anything. I think Vegas is going to absolutely bananas. Blow. I mean, this, this could be the biggest party Vegas has ever seen because you have a world full of people that haven't been able to go anywhere for a year and a half. I think people are going to want to party their ass off and Vegas is the oh, best place in the world. it's going to be nuts. So I think there's going to be a, the quickest comeback, oh. the quickest comeback once we do open. And I think we're about six months away from that happening. And then, uh, and then I'm, I'm going to be love to talk to you about real estate in like September. Oh my God. Just, well, uh, you know, you know, but there's, there's also a flip side to it. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and just like unintended consequences, we discussed, you know, March 18th <laughs> and the world's coming to an end. We're all going to die of contagion and may, man, well, you know, the world's going to open up here in two weeks and I think everyone's going to sell their house and dude, I don't know what's going to happen, man. The market's going to crash. Nope, not <laughs> at all. Not the case. And what we didn't expect was what we discussed earlier. People being cooped up in their house for two months, you realize this is not the most comfortable place. 
I, I need to spend more money around here because yeah, my sofa's busted. I don't have enough room. I think the change of lifestyle, I mean, look at what's happened to urban areas, all this flight to the suburbs, because you've never spent so much time. When I went to New York, I was like, man, I would not want to spend my day off in this really nice apartment because it's tiny and it's claustrophobic. So I, I don't blame people for getting out and wanting more space and wanting a bigger home. So I think the unintended consequence could be actually a little bit of a swing the other direction because mm. right now, what are you gonna have, what are you gonna spend your money on? It's not a vacation. I mean, why spend money on expensive clothes? No one can see you uh, unless you got a good shirt for that Zoom call. So I think there might be a little bit of a weird blowback where you okay. know the second half of this year, people go, hey, I already bought that house. Yeah. Hey, you know what? We, we were thinking about spending our money in the house, but man, we're gonna go take that trip to Hawaii. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. I think entertainment and vacations are going to just blow through the roof. I think housing is not going to see as much as like timeshares. If you're in timeshares, that's a good business to get into the second half of this year. Cause I think people are going to go crazy. Yeah. So very, very cool. different. Well, the last step I got wanted to hit today is there's talk about the extension and forbearance moving from March to September. And I just want to get your feel for what, if any impact would that be? Is it just another six month delay or what do you think happens if, if that comes through? So, I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of what I said in that AB 284 video that I made in September of like 2011 is on one hand, um, I understand doing right by people from a humanitarian standpoint. There's a lot of people out there that are hurting um, and it depends on your level of empathy. Uh, and I think lines to a certain degree have to be drawn. I mean, look, I feel bad if you've been laid off from your job and you can no longer afford to pay your rent for where you're staying. Now, on the other hand, I don't think you get a free pass. I think, look, if you can't afford $2,000 a month in rent, girl, you got to find a place for $1,000 a month. And that's, that's really the bottom line. Find something that's in your wheelhouse. Uh, it, the investor, the owner of that property, they shouldn't be the ones losing money to subsidize someone else who doesn't want to make a financial decision that's better for them. So, for me, I'm about personal accountability and I don't like some of the things that I'm seeing because I think it strips personal accountability and it hurts investors like us. And I think it's unnecessary. Um, so with the mortgage forbearances, the problem that I see is this, um, not that it's necessarily hurting anyone except perhaps the bank, but, but people are actually gonna end up hurting themselves. And the problem is, look, you went from six months of not paying your mortgage to a year of not paying your mortgage. to now we're gonna be talking about 18 months of not paying your mortgage. Um, you better have a lot of equity in your home to be able to get out of that and salvage. Uh, because obviously, yeah, you can sell how much money you're gonna walk away with. It's, your principal balance is just going up every single day. So it's less money for you to walk away with when you sell. I think now you're starting to put people into a potential short sale situation or a foreclosure situation. Um, and, you know, like I said, if you have to sell your property, it's, it's a lot better to sell your property in May when the market's at its prime and going through the roof. And, you know, we can only predict so far. It becomes pretty arrogant for me to sit here and go, this is what's going to happen in mm -hmm. 2022. I didn't predict what happened with coronavirus. I have no idea what's going to happen next year. But this year seems to be relatively predictable as far as where we're going. And I think kicking the can down the road 
sometimes it's better to just flush the toilet and like, let's move on. Whatever will be, will be right now for effective purposes. The economy seems to be doing all right. People are willing to spend. Interest rates are low. There are options. I think you're better if you can't afford your home, probably better to just deal with it and get out and get something that's affordable to you rather than kicking the can down the road. Because when those start coming up in September, October, November, who knows if the market starts tailing down. If we start getting close to that crash that everyone's worried about, you could be trying to desperately sell your home during the holidays, which historically is not the best time. So great call. I think a year is more than fair to not pay your mortgage. I think kicking the can farther down the road um, is, is a little bit dangerous for the same people that we're trying to help. Yeah. Brian, this has been so much fun. Thank you for doing this. How can people follow you and where can they go find that uh, 2021 video, which I watched and thoroughly enjoyed? Thanks. Um, so I'll give you the link. So hopefully Michael will post the I link will. in the description below. First line. Um, yeah. But on YouTube, just follow me, uh, the Lebo group, just type in the Lebo group, bring your right to my channel. If you subscribe every month, I do update videos where I break down all the analytics in the, in the market. And then like I discussed earlier, is this an empty caloric stat or is this actually relevant? And that's what's important to you is, is this just an empty stat or why is this important? So please, you know, go to my videos, subscribe, Um, You can reach me directly. I have a ton of your viewers that reach out to me, whether they're interested in buying, interested in selling, or just want some general guidance. Um, You can reach me directly by phone or text at 702-257-LEBO, L-E-B-O, 702-257-LEBO. Folks, and again, if you are one of those people looking to buy in Vegas, do yourself a favor, reach out to Brian. He is the man, 20 years experience, thinks like a buyer, thinks like an investor. Uh, I trust him. So thanks, Brian, for all your time today. Thank you so much for your time and I appreciate you guys all watching.